Attention shoppers, we now have taste in the bread aisle. Dave's Killer Bread. That's right, an organic bread that doesn't need three spoonfuls of sriracha jam to delight your taste buds. Dave's Killer Bread is a 21-grain salute to the end of boring bread, a brand on a mission to make the most out of every loaf, to rid the world of GMOs and artificial ingredients, and plant the seeds of good in all that they bake. But Dave's Killer Bread has done more than raise the bar on bread. In fact, Dave's Killer Bread was built on the belief that second chances can change lives. When its founder, Dave, the guy with the guitar you see on every loaf, returned to the family bakery after 15 years in prison. Dave took that chance and ended up creating what would become the country's number one organic bread while never forgetting his not-so-easy path. That's why at Dave's Killer Bread, they proudly practice second-chance employment, hiring the best person for the job, regardless of criminal background. And by the taste of it, things have worked out rather well. Dave's Killer Bread. Bread Amplified. What's up, everybody? Patrick Connor here, and welcome to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. We're here to talk about actually a handful of topics, but we're going to try to weave some history in there, which means that I am here with my dude, Eris Pina, CompuBox operator, and he is also, like me, just kind of a history guy. So, Eris, what is up, bro? How are you doing? Doing okay, man. Doing okay. You know, we got a big weekend ahead of us. We had a big weekend last weekend, you know. Excuse me. We're in a big run of uh, fights going on right now, so I'm doing all right. Dude, it was it was one of those days on Saturday where it felt like a marathon. Like it was just a, uh, you know, some weekends it's like you start well, especially because of the Golovkin uh, Murata fight. But you know that in and of oh, itself was gosh, a good fight. I'm glad but, that started at 8 a.m. I thought that was going to start earlier than that, but I woke up literally. As they were getting introduced into the ring, I was like, "This you can yep. made it more perfect timing to myself." Yeah, I I saw an estimate that said that it was going to be about five twenty or five thirty my time, and I mm -hmm. woke up a little earlier. Like I woke up at like five, and I was like, "Huh, I wonder if it's on." And I went and I turned it on, and sure enough, they like Golovkin was like walking to the ring, and I was like, "Oh shit! All right, I guess they're do I guess we're doing this. All right, I guess I'm up. Let's do this." But from that point on, and, you know, five o'clock in the morning to me, it almost nonstop boxing from there, almost, it was, it was pretty, it was a boxing day for sure. But I think the, the apex of that day, you know, the, the, the best fight in which a number of people were calling beforehand, but you got to actually count the winner, which in and of itself is pretty, pretty gnarly dude, but Sebastian Fandora and Erickson Lubin, they went to war. It was a great fight. Uh, definitely going to be a candidate for 2022 fight of the year, man. Holy shit. How was counting that? Intense. <laughs> I bet. It, yeah, man. I was counting Pandora and the guy was, you know, he lived up to his reputation. On average, he throws close to, if not more than 80 something punches around high 70s and low 80s. And dude he's he's an, he's a monster man you know he's very very hard to overcome you'd think he'd be with his with his height what is he about six 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 seven um that he'd be able to stand back and try to box but no he gets right in the trenches with you and dude he just never stopped throwing punches i mean even from the front from the beginning um lubin had a really good game plan. don't get me wrong i mean i was primarily counting on pandora and i haven't gone back to watch it yet to as a fan just to enjoy it and digest what i, what I watch but 
you know, clear, Lumen clearly had a good game plan and trying to chop him down, break him down. But, like, it was just so hard to overcome. And with his lack of movement and a guy like Pandora, that even if you hit him, Lumen was hitting him with incredible body shots, headshots over and over. You just can't stop that forward momentum, especially with the death of a thousand uppercuts that he was throwing and other assorted punches. And, you know, he got to Lubin early in second round. Lubin gets dropped. Um, it looked at that point already that he was going to be overwhelmed by the, by the sheer force of what was going on. But, you know, to his credit, not only did he come back, he, he made it a very close fight, man. You know, like not Fundor each round was just putting up incredible numbers. Like I said, you know, 70 something punches, 80 something punches. I don't have the exact stats in front of me, but he was just absolutely just blasting him. And you saw it gradually by each round, Lubin's face just breaking apart or instead of breaking apart, just swelling up like, you know, grotesquely. And not to say that he was getting completely overwhelmed. Like I said, after the second round, he still was coming back. He still was landing tremendous shots. But right when it seemed like the fight was about to end, and this is when it gets really dramatic and takes a fight, which was very good, but kind of just one-sided in nature to like a whole nother level, when it looked like Fundora was about to stop him around round seven, and um, Lubin instead turned the tide and ended up dropping him. Like, what a tremendous flurry. And that was the first time Fandora's ever really been hurt. He's been dropped that way. And that was incredible. And that just was like, you know, that brought the dramatics full up. But like you said, man, after a while, it became again, by the end of the fight, it became another beatdown. Like, Lubin was still game. He wasn't going to quit. But his face was absolutely just busted up. The type of face you don't really, you don't see swelling that grotesquely usually like. Guys swell up. Arturo Gatti was a sweller. You know, the other guys were just, if you breathe on them, they mark up a little bit. This was the type of swelling that you get when you just absolutely just get punched over and over and over and over in the same spot on the face. Like, you know, it was that type of like monstrous swelling. The type of stuff you saw when, for example, when I put up um, a tweet the other day about George Foreman against Alex Stewart. It's type of, you know, the type of swelling where you literally get lumped up. So. Yeah, yeah. I I agree, dude. It was bad. It was a slow beat down. Um, and I mean, the, the great thing about it, what made it great, like you said, that kind of dramatic turnaround from Lubin was the fact that from that second round on, I mean, he had a pretty decent first round and then got dropped in the second round. And a lot of people going into the fight, I think were pretty concerned about uh, his chin because he's had some chin is issues in the past. He's been stopped once, but he was stopped early in it. And, you know, it's, I think when that kind of thing happens to a fighter, it's always going to be a concern, you know, whatever the case was in when in that stoppage. And so there were concerns going into this fight in the second round when he gets dropped. I think a lot of people, myself included, were like, damn, I think that that's probably going to be it, dude. Look, yeah, Sebastian, I Sebastian Fandora, And I say this with love, you know, those, I don't even know if they make them anymore, dude. If you go to like the ball game or some shit like that, and those figures that are, you know, thinking, think, think, yeah, 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 but the yeah. arms are like way oh. disproportionate to the, like the head. That's what he looks like. It's just, they, the arms go so much farther than it looks like they're going to go. They're and, the puppets, boxing puppets, hand puppets that we had as kids. Yeah, exactly. Just the little, the little crazy puppets. Then you put them on, you press the thing, and they go out. Yeah, yeah, dude. He's uh, his his reach is tremendous, and on top of that, it's he doesn't really fight on the outside. Oh, so it's like you're getting hit with like, <laughs> yeah, you're getting hit with like these crazy shots that you're just not. And I think they're they're at a. The speed and everything is just off because of his size. 
And I think mm-hmm. it's really difficult to get to grasp grasp onto. Um, Erickson Lubin was getting the proper uh, advice in the corner. You know, uh, Kevin Cunningham was telling him, uh, turn him, turn him, do fight on angles, you know, uh, hit him and get out, but like turn him, use angles. And Erickson uh, Lubin actually got himself back into the fight the hard way. Because he didn't do that. He didn't do that pretty much at all. He just fought his way back into the fight and pushed Vendora back in a few rounds. Really laid some hard body work on him. Uh, And I mean, just, yeah, he did his best, like you said, to kind of chop him down. Came pretty close. Almost got him in that seventh round and hurt him pretty good. But just Mm kind of ran out of time and I think probably ran out of steam. And, And I think even... I don't remember if it was at the beginning of the seventh round or the end of the sixth. I think I had said something on Twitter, like, dude, I'm starting to get kind of concerned. Like it's, this is a little bit concerning. He's starting to kind of get his ass kicked and then he knocks him down in the seventh round. But then after that, I think it became very clear that his chance, that was his chance and it, it was gone and he started to get his ass kicked kind of good. And they made the correct decision pulling the plug because his his face was swollen, something awful. I'm surprised that it was only a broken nose, to be honest, because it looked like it was like a broken nose plus a broken jaw or something. You know, it, like it, was I said, it was one of those type of beatings that like your face just accumulates lumps over and all over from it. You know, you don't see those type of you don't see the type of swelling often. Sometimes from a headbutt, like I said, other guys are just prone to swelling, so you'll just see their faces get marked up or closed up. But that was a type from just an accumulation of just punch after punch just landing in. You saw where the central swelling was too. That was from Fandora's uppercuts. Like, oh man. Yeah, dude. I, I said before we started recording, but there was one point, and I think that I even tweeted it too, but there was one point for about two minutes or so. I'd have to look back at the round, maybe six, something like that, where over the course of about two minutes, Fandora landed something like 20 ish uppercuts Mm -hmm. you know maybe a little less i don't know i i didn't go back and count or anything i just know it was a lot like it was just like bam bam that was many that was a lot of instances in the fight you would just go and just land like accumulation of punches and i would kind of look at myself as if like wow man like be almost surprised that because you don't get stats like that usually where a guy is just landing after landing and he's so active and he's gonna be a handful for anyone in that division um you know, the way he, he's not difficult to hit. So it, it would be fascinating to see what Charlo would be able to do with him because Charlo, I think, obviously, he has a win over Lubin and he might be um, stronger physically. And I think, yeah. you know, he would find Better a way to puncher, do it. Yeah. yeah, 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 everything. But I don't like Fondora's just fun to watch, man. He's, he's an absolute, like, when the first time you lay eyes on him, you're kind of just taken aback by the whole scene, and then you watch him fight, and you're even more shocked by what you're watching. And, yeah, he's had a fun rise. This was yeah, his test, too. He needed to break through something like this to really That's true. prove his work. And he passed it with flying colors. Lubin, um, not quite championship material, but he's right at the cusp, you know, in terms of being the top contender in that division. And um, Fandora, you know, went through hell and beat him. That's true. And that's actually the other side of it that should be acknowledged and probably isn't acknowledged enough that Vendora had to get up from a knockdown too. He had to come back from being hurt. And, and he was losing on the cards. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. I'm yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure I agree with that at that point, but he was down by one point on two cards and mm-hmm. it was even on the other. 
So, I mean, I agree that it was, it was a tough fight. It was a hotly contested fight. I think at that point, Fandora probably should have been firmly ahead, but by like, not a, not a big margin, but anyway, it doesn't really matter. It was a fun fight. And, um, yeah, yeah kudos Fund- to Showtime for that one because that was a really good card. I mean, Fandora, he needed that test, like you said, and he got it. Absolutely. Yeah, dude, that's pretty I, cool. I'm, to, looking forward to, I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to put on next. I mean, um, there was talks I know before that they were going to him and Tony Harrison potentially could fight, um, but I don't know how that would be after that. I would actually probably still favor, but. Tony Harrison's a very, very good boxer, and I'm sure he yeah. wouldn't just stand, you know, he'd be much more of a movement and everything, but again, the way in his past and how, you know, other pressure fighters have been able to break through against him and stuff like that, I could see the same thing happening with Pandora, so well, again, he matches well with anyone in the division. If he's going to go against some guy like Harrison, or if he actually gets to challenge the winner of um, the Charlo Castano, uh, Castano rematch, wherever he ends up, I'm going to watch it. I'm a, I'm a big fan now. Yeah, I think that, you know, with his age, he's not very he's not very old. He's what like 23 or something like yeah. that. And in any case, he's young. And um I guess it just kind of depends on what the goal is. Like how high in weight do they think that he can go or should go? Uh is he still actually growing, etc.? I mean, I I don't really know all that much about that. All I know is that he clearly has the dimensions and the potential to be pretty damn good and already is damn good considering he doesn't look like he would be good. Like he almost, yeah. almost like Nikolai Valuev, like, agree, yeah. like a, like a, and obviously I don't think they look alike, but looking at I know him, what you mean, just looking at them and you're just like, Oh dude, there's no way that this human being could fight or be athletic <laughs> at all. Like this, this human being does not look like they could move well. Oh shit. I guess they can. Nikolai Value, you know, I mean, like he was not a graceful dude, but then you'd see him in there and it was like, oh, he's actually got a pretty good job. Oh, yeah, he wasn't bad. I mean, yeah, Value was was decent back in his time. Uh, I would say, you know, he was not a very good fighter, but he was a pain in the ass. Let's put it that way. And I I feel as though Sebastian Fundor is kind of the same way. You know, at at worst, he's going to be a pain in the fucking ass because of his dimensions. Lead robes. I'm sorry. Go no, go ahead. Uh, Lee made it. Lee Rose made a good point on Twitter. He said that um, Fandora kind of reminds him of uh, Guillermo Jones. And when you think <laughs> about it, it's true because Guillermo Jones was kind of the same freak of nature back in the mid 90s. Yeah, went, went from like welterweight to yeah, cruiserweight. Well, he fought Budwani twice, uh, Loren Budwani, former junior middleweight champion, twice on Showtime um, in the mid kind of <laughs> latest 90s. Yeah. And yeah, back then he was, I don't think he's as tall as Pandora, but close enough. And yeah. And then he, he like was, disappeared for a few and he years. He disappeared for a few years and all of a sudden he became a cruiserweight when he came back. Yeah. And all of a sudden he came back. back. He looked kind of like awkward, but he could fight his ass off. It was like, what oh, the yeah. hell? He what is this? Lebedev's face. Dennis Lebedev when they yeah. fought. And others like Guillermo Jones became a really tough cruiserweight, you know, awkward in that. Um, actually fun era of the mid 2000s. When you had guys like Mormeck and O'Neill Bell and Hay was coming up, Carl Thompson was still around. It was good times. Yeah, dude. Yeah, he seemed to kind of come right at the end of those those guys' time, and he mm-hmm. was. Uh, but that was that was wild that he kind of just disappeared and came back as a cruiserweight. But not only did that, but was pretty damn good. That was yeah. that was what was crazy. And lasted so long. I mean, I think 
That's a pretty good call. He actually retired, but remember when he was still WBA champion in recess for how many years it was? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. He was a because he was a Don King fighter, so he was just on ice for like a number of years. Exactly, he would appear somewhere in Cleveland or wherever. Yeah, fulfill some weird, weird obligation to make sure he maintains the crown or some shit Mm -hmm. like that. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, it's like some Fresikendo shit or some. Yeah, I, I can't I can't trash Vitaly Klitschko and his emeritus status now because that fool deserves it. But <clears throat> you know, it's it is pretty crazy with Sebastian Fandora. Just his dimensions alone are gonna make him really, <clears throat> excuse me, really difficult to fight and really difficult to be successful against. I think the downfall is probably gonna be, as you said, that he's not super difficult to hit. Um, seems like a super easy guy to root for nice kid but at some point he's probably going to get himself in trouble with being you know nine feet tall but liking to fight like in a telephone booth that's it's going to be bad news for him because he already got caught plenty against erickson lubin um the good also news in is last fight too um, yeah the good news is that he withstood it but it's it's like you know that doesn't that doesn't last forever absolutely not nope so it's, I mean, regardless if where his future ends up or, you know, stuff like that. I mean, like, I think the odds are in his favor that he can pick up a title one day. Oh, yeah. Because with, with so many out there and what's going on with visions and all these different things, I'm, I'm, it's more easier than ever, I guess, for a, for a rising star to be able to become a champion, so to speak. But is he ready for the elite level yet? I don't, I don't think so. But, again, if he wants to jump and go for it, then I'm going to watch it. I think that Tony Harrison type level is probably perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Because because I think that, you know, going somewhat laterally, you know, moving a step up but not too far up is probably the right way to go. Charlo, I mean, obviously it's there's always like a rush to be <laughs> like I get it, you know what I mean? But and that's what I was saying earlier is that like what's the goal here? Are we cashing his ass out? Does he get hit a lot in the gym? there's not really a lot of hope you know i'm not trying to insinuate anything i'm just saying from like a managerial standpoint or whatever you know if he's getting hit a lot in the gym or he's getting dropped or like you know i'm thinking ah dude this kid's career is not going to be long not, the way I mean, he he his style is not meant to last for a number of right years. and Absolutely. and if, if i'm his manager and i am thinking in that regard yeah dude maybe go after charlo or do harrison then charlo or whatever but i mean if you're thinking more of a kind of like you know hold on like let's develop him. Like let's make sure that when he gets there, he can actually win. Mm-hmm. Then you probably do Harrison, and then like a couple more fights, and then Charlo. You know what I'm saying? Like in my opinion, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, totally. There's no need to rush guys. I mean, that's that's the thing. Yeah, with this that's game. all. This era is all about trying to rush guys as quickly as they can to a championship. And when you win a title today, like we've discussed before on the show and other occasions, it's when you win a title now it's almost like with some guys it's almost still they're still in developmental and even though they're a champion yeah or even or even worse they'll get him to some other level and they say hold on he's he's gotten popular now so now we got to let this marinate Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. the m word you know then it's going to be like uh you know so that could be even worse but you know just we'll see where it goes with him absolutely but no this was a huge win and you know this was a huge win for him um, he stepped up on a big stage in the main event on Showtime, um, came through, came through a lot of adversity in a fight that he struggled in, but he broke through and, um, 
got dropped, which he kind of, you know, everybody needs to go through something like that eventually or some type of like um, distress. And he passed with flying colors. So at this point, like you said, I don't, I hope they don't really rush right into anything, but whatever they want to do, I'm going to watch because he's a very, very exciting fighter and he's easy to root for. Like you said. Well, speaking of, uh, excuse me, speaking of exciting fighters, I did want to kind of at least briefly, briefly ask you about Golovkin Murata. Absolutely. I mean, you know, obviously that a lot of it is the implications, um, a lot of the questions going in were what is Golovkin going to look like? We know basically what Murata's more or less what his ceiling is. I mean, we already know, uh, we already know that he's fairly limited. He doesn't have a ton of power, et cetera. He's going to be there to hit. Uh, so what's going to happen in this fight is probably going to be dictated by how washed as it were Golovkin looks, how bad he looks, how old he looks. Um, and early on, he didn't really look very good. Early on, he looked pretty yeah. slow, looked pretty shop-worn, pretty rusty. And, and and indeed, it looked like it was just kind of rust that needed to get shaken off. And also that we know where Murata is in terms of his limit. But um, yeah, I mean, Golovkin did his job. He wound up getting the stoppage, good stoppage. But the question lingers like, you know, he's probably going to go in against, I guess, the winner of Canelo Bivol. What, what does that leave Golovkin here? Um, yeah, I, I agree with what you said right now. Like Golovkin did not look good early on. He definitely was showing all, every bit of his, uh, was he 40? Every bit of his 40 years at the point. And Murata is a very, is a good fighter. Very tough guy, as you showed, determined, hits hard um better than how he kind of looks in the ring in terms of being like one dimensional and kind of plotting i think he you know he has more layers to his game than that but at the end of the day he's still a very slow slow guy that's kind of easy to read and easy to hit and golovkin was more or less just kind of looked like you know he could still take a hell of a punch like it wasn't too much what i was worried about him taking head punches it was more so how i was reacting to when he was getting hit to the body Kind of like, you know, when um, the Dervinchenko fight when he was hurt to the body and other times, like, Golovkin showed a vulnerability there. Um, his timing seemed like it was off. I know he's been out of the game for a long time, but his timing was off. Um, he was kind of plotting. He wasn't moving. The, the footwork was completely gone. The combinations, which have been waning in recent years, they're already to begin with, seemed almost non-existent early on. And um, you and I were message, uh, messaging each other early on, and we were both saying to ourselves that, like, oh, after four rounds, we were like, this might not end well but um to his credit it seemed like um he started you know slowly gaining his composure started getting like you know the gears in motion and I believe it was round six where he finally landed a monster right hand that knocked Murata's jaw um mouthpiece completely out and looked like he damaged his jaw a little bit but clearly swung the momentum in his favor and after that the old Golovkin to a degree started surfacing you know, the combinations look more fluid. You can tell he was more relaxed in the ring. The footwork a little, looked a little bit better. Everything just seemed more more better, at, you know, as a whole. And I would say at 40 years old, once he got into that gear, he looked pretty good. Don't get me wrong, but it was the first four rounds I was really concerned about. But I think overall that, like, well, I think he shook off the rust, got it, you know, got warmed up a little bit. And then once he started going to work, you know, everything looked really good. I wish he could actually have another fight in the interim 
him before he would have to fight Canelo again because I think he would need that. But looks like he's going straight to September. Yeah, I think that would probably be the smart thing to do. Honestly, it would be. I think I think he needs it. I think he needs it. And I mean, on we're only in April, so I guess there's time. There's time for him to get acclimated to whatever. I don't know what I mean. Then again, he's going to be almost 41 mm-hmm. in September. So I mean, it's that's the double-edged sword there. But regardless, um, just based on what we saw in this fight, like there were, I think that it's not so much that he had rust. Like that's that can happen to anybody. Absolutely. But like you said, it was the way he's reacting to get hit to the body. Uh, early on, he was getting hit with right hands, like like nobody's business dude just you Marauders know Marauder's not the fastest guy on the planet no he would they were predictable like he wasn't being sneaky with them or anything he was just like uh right hand you know and, and totally landing it and there were just for a, like a, a good like round and a half it was almost like Golovkin couldn't get out of the way of it and mm-hmm. I was thinking this is not the dude I remember you know this is bad um but luckily that didn't keep whether it was Murata couldn't keep up the pace or Golovkin or a combination of, you know, Golovkin just kind of wisening up to it, whatever it was, um, you know, Golovkin caught up. He showed obviously the, his class in the end, but you, you just have to think, give Canelo, even Bivol those opportunities. That's not, you know, I, I don't think that that's a, I, I don't, I don't, you know, if, if Bevel were to upset Canelo, I don't think Triple G's management will go for that fight. Yeah, probably not. That, dude. That's just that's just a even in his prime, that would have been like a tough, like you know, style matchup for him. And awkward. They'll probably do a, a rematch. Would be my guess if yeah, Bevel yeah. That was beats like Canelo. That. Absolutely, they would. You know, Triple G would have to go on his own way. Maybe explore the other Charlo brother or something else. I don't know. But, or yeah, maybe he'd be like, you know, finally I I reached my like weight limit, like that's it, yeah. I you know I'm not doing that anymore. I don't know, but regardless, uh, either way, I don't think that you favor Golovkin against either of those guys. No, absolutely not, man. And the way Canelo's been looking as of late in his past few fights, and he's really come to his own. He's at his absolute prime. He's at the peak of his powers. The way he's just he, he's clearly the best fighter on the planet and really comfortable in where he's at and everything. And not only that, he's shared 24 rounds with Golovkin now. He knows what he's up against. Um, both fights were extremely close. Both fights were very tough. Golovkin arguably won both of them, according to some people, depending on how you look at it. But I would still say, though, that like after that, who's been the worst of where? You know, Canelo has been very active in the, and since then. Golovkin hasn't. Um, Canelo has right. been fighting top competition in all that time. Golovkin he- hasn't. Even even if Golovkin was even if Golovkin wasn't or weren't the worst for wear, mm-hmm. even if Canelo were the worst for wear coming out of those fights, you wouldn't know it because Canelo's been the one that's been busier, and so you've only been left to judge. And fighting what very top competition, aside from you know, uh, yeah, fighting. and we're only left to judge what Golovkin's done, which is very little in comparison. So it's like, okay. who knows? Exactly. And, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy right now. It's like, it's crazy to think where Golovkin was when he first made that crazy deal with his own. And that was worth, I, I don't even know how much it was, but it was worth an absurd amount of money and all this other stuff. And he's only fought a couple of times since his, his career was completely stagnated, but 
this was a big boost for him. I'm sure he was, you know, happy that he got in there. He's unified, he's unified champion yeah. in the weight division again. And still on top of his game, future Hall of Famer, yada, yada, yada. But he, this, this you know, the fight that he's going into, he's going to be a huge underdog in this one. And this is going to be the first time out of their three fights that everyone's going to be like, oh, you know, not so much I'm excited for what can be a competitive fight, but more so this is going to be a mugging. That was the general consensus I got on Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, and personally, I thought that Golovkin should have won the, their first fight, the the first fight with Canelo, close but fairly clear. I thought the rematch should have been Canelo, close but fairly clear. And so, I mean, the, the downfall here, and it's just pure, I guess, unfairness, it has, it's not Golovkin's fault necessarily that Canelo is the superstar and holds all the sway. Mm -hmm. But that is just what it is. And so for the better part of however many years, what, eight years now, yeah. uh, Golovkin has been chasing Canelo. And Canelo in the, uh, the last few years has just like moved the fuck on with his life. So, I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, so it's, it's kind of like he's stayed accomplishing shit and Golovkin has kind of just been like, but what about our third fight the whole time? And meanwhile, yeah, DAZN yeah. has been kind of dropping the ball with what they with what they more or less said that they would do in the middleweight division. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. And to add to your point too, it's like I'm to add to your point as well. I, I want to add something else there. His moving on to Jonathan Banks from Abel Sanchez. Um, it's almost like, I don't know if you noticed it too, but he's not the same fighter. I mean, besides age, like it's almost like he's tried to change his style slightly from what he was more so like, you know, has Abel had him as a really like pressure fighter, almost in the Chavez mold to a degree. And, you know, with Banks, he's like kind of like, oh, he wants him to box more and use his jab, which he has an incredible jab. And he's always used that to his advantage and stuff. But you, you, you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. Well, and, and I think that, um, he was definitely a slightly more aggressive fighter. And I mean, maybe yeah, it, totally. maybe it's that he figured his motor would burn out quicker that way. And so he's not, he doesn't fight that. I don't know. But I, I do think that the, the trainer switch does have something to do with it. And the jab really has been throughout his career, like the key. It honestly has. And I mean, you could say that about any fighter, like, you know, the jab's fundamental, all that shit, but it really nah, has been always been. It, it really has been for Golovkin. His jab is outstanding. And even in that's, in my opinion, what made the difference in the Canelo fights. In the first fight, he used his jab. Nah, fucking great, dude. It looked great in a number of rounds where, like, it was like, he was just jabbing his face off. And I mean, even when it wasn't landing, that's the whole point is that he has a strong jab that is like powerful and that shit hurts. And we've seen him totally get away from it in, in the last handful of fights. Like he used to have a jab, like an offensive jab, not just like kind of like a probing jab, like a, like range finder jab, but like a, that shit was going to hurt. I think he's scored several knockdowns with jabs. But the point is, you know, he, he's gotten away well, from that style. He put against Lemieux with that jab. Yeah, it's it's awful. It's a terrible jab when he uses it, but he's gotten away from it. And so, you know, again, and I had, said, I had said something about this going into this fight, that perhaps that style change and perhaps the fact that he's been somewhat inactive has kind of preserved him 
I don't know. But regardless, you know, it 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 wasn't a super great look. But either way, um, I don't know. I I guess what the best case scenario for Golovkin would be that Canelo struggles to get past Bevel, but does get past him, but winds up getting kind of beaten up in the process. And so Golovkin gets a somewhat beaten up version of Canelo. That's the best case scenario for him, I would imagine. So I don't know. I guess I just hope for the best fight. Same. You know, I don't think it's going to be a complete blowout because, and you know, like you mentioned earlier too, he's been chasing this third Canelo fight for so long, kind of just chasing Canelo fights for years now already. And with the way those first two fights played out and Triple G obviously believing he deserved those and a lot of people believing that also, he's still going to come in with extra motivation. And, yeah, you know, he'll be up both, for it, yeah. Yeah, and you can, it's kind of, kind of like, you know, with Marquez having the same ammunition with Pacquiao over the years. Yeah. So if you want to use that as an example. So, yeah. I mean, I think... And their style's just meshing well, too, exactly, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So it'll, it'll be an interesting fight. It'll be a good one. It's just one I highly favor Canelo in. Oh, I'm going to be curious to see if he can even uh, get past Bevel. So, yeah, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty funky scenario. Like I'm looking forward to Canelo Bevel myself, but you know we got some other stuff uh, to talk about this weekend. But before we get to that, uh, there's been like the last few days, there's just been a a swirl of uh, stuff in the boxing world. You know, never I mean, end, does it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess under normal circumstances, like this kind of stuff happens often enough or semi-frequently enough that like it's not unheard of, obviously, mm-hmm. but it's significant. Um, <laughs> I need to take a drink before, before I get to this. I think we both do, man. <laughs> boxing Twitter has been on fire from this. Yeah. All right. And so like it's not and to be honest, it's a it's something I've been reading up a lot about and I'm just kind of like holy shit with the whole situation. But I know it's something that you've definitely gone deep diving on for a while. So well, uh, I mean, you know, like you you and I are both obviously we've done true crime episodes. We both have that interest. Um, you know absolutely. Yeah, we both like just kind of researching stuff, reading into stuff, etc. And um Anyway, I I don't know why. For whatever reason, this piqued my interest. But I'll try to sum it up the best way I can with this Daniel Kinahan business, okay? Um, Recently, like in the last two days or so, the U.S. placed a $5 million per head bounty on members of the Kinahan uh, cartel. And so it's $15 million bounty. And then on top of that, they placed sanctions on their business, basically uh, sanctions on them so that they are now like officially uh, like a criminal organization under the eyes of the U S law, more or less. Um, so people are like, well, what's the, what is the crim- what the Kinahan cartel? What is that? Again, I'll try to kind of sum up the best way I can here, but more or less um, in Ireland in the last uh, little while, I suppose, let's say, there's been a a blood feud between two crime families or organizations, the Kinahans and the Hutches. And um, basically this 
feud boiled over, there was a retribution or an attempted retribution, uh, or at least I should say an alleged attempted retribution on the part of the Hutches, where allegedly somebody was trying to kill Daniel Kinahan at a weigh-in. And the weigh-in was uh, for, man, I can't even remember. I'd have to look at it again. Jamie Cavanaugh versus Antonio Joao Bento. And it was at the Regency Hotel in Dublin. And gunmen basically stormed the weigh-in and shot the weigh-in up. And that was in 2016. Yeah, I mean, it was big news, obviously, because gunmen walked in with Kalashnikovs and shot the way in up, wound up killing an associate of Daniel Kinahan named Kevin Byrne. Or I'm sorry, was it? Yeah, was it David Byrne? Sorry. And then there was another person who was shot that was an associate of Kinahan. And so it was a big deal, needless to say. Um, and it, and as a retribution for that attempted killing and the killing of David Byrne, there was something like 15 to 20 deaths that resulted because of that hotel shootout thing. So over the course of that, you know, there, these organizations allegedly are involved in things like drug running, gun running, uh, money laundering, and those sorts of deep criminal things and have been the in, under investigation by uh you know irish basically what would be the irish irish feds more or less and so daniel kinahan began operating out of spain and then went from spain to dubai the united arab emirates and has been there for several years and so people are kind of perhaps hearing this and going, so what the fuck does this have to do with anything, right? Well, <laughs> when you kind of go into any of these sort of criminal or like true crime, whatever uh, conversations when it comes to boxing, you unfortunately have to just cede. You have to just give up that as a given, the vast majority of people get into boxing either to make money or to launder money straight up. The vast majority of people are not getting into boxing out of the goodness of their heart. This shit ain't fucking UNICEF. This is not a charity. You do not get into boxing to be a nice person. Generally speaking, of course there are people who have, I'm simply saying by and large, bad people get into boxing and boxing is an easy way to launder money and to whitewash a reputation in the act of laundering money. And so Daniel Kinahan started getting into boxing as an advisor. Fast forward to present day and advises the heavyweight champion of the world, Tyson Fury, and the junior welterweight champion, Josh Taylor. So that's significant. That's extremely significant. But then beyond that, beyond just advising these fighters, there have been these other companies that have been created that are allegedly shell companies for MTK, which is the company that Daniel Kinahan has come to be the head of. MTK is short for Mac the Knife and was an organization Matthew that got Macklin. started. What's that? Matthew Macklin. 
Yep. Matthew Macklin's nickname is Mac the Knife, and he had involvement when the organization got started several years ago. He pulled out, and he's not involved anymore, but they kept the name. Daniel Canahan's the head of MTK. Um, just kind of is, you know, like a shadow ahead of it, I guess. And then a couple of offshoot companies like Probella, Probellum, Wasserman have popped up in the last little while and have uh, also been, um, they're also allegedly kind of these shells or offshoot companies of MTK. So again, you know, it's kind of like trying to, Daniel Kinahan trying to separate himself from direct involvement with these fights and fighters and instead kind of like creating these companies as a buffer. And in doing so, you know, that makes him money. But also what it does is it gives him the appearance of being a legitimate businessman. What? I'm just promoting fights. You know, like I'm just, I'm just over here, you know, being the guy. So, but of course he has to do it from Dubai because he's wanted in a couple of these other countries and like, you know, it's like got a fucking bolo from Interpol and shit out on him. Anyway, so that was, I know that was a long-winded thing, but that's the summed up version, dude. There's a lot going on here. There's been reporting on this from Irish, UK, and US journalists for several years now, notably uh, Kieran Cunningham, uh, Nicola Talent. Those are the two that I probably have been following the most. But Alan Dawson is also another one that has been, has made a lot of this news far more accessible for boxing fans. So, I mean, it's a lot to unpack. You know, boxing's had some icky history, dude. You and I have talked about it at length, you know? Dude, I mean, I'm not going to be like, oh, this is boxing. This always happens. No, this is really, really, really bad. And it's good that people are like actually recognizing this and seeing that this is um, to an extent a lot bigger than just, you know, a local hustler or huckster or even like a Rick Elvis Parker trying to get involved and trying to make a quick buck. Like this is on some next level shit. And it's not something that we've seen very often, but we could go back in history and look in the past and see people that you could compare it to something like similar to, to this. You know what I mean? Um, well, we've talked about the IBC in the past, you know I mean? The international mm-hmm. boxing club where they use Jim Norris, who was the promoter, but basically a puppet. Yeah, that's probably the best example, yeah. Absolutely. And what's crazy is that, like, they had some heavy mobsters in there. You had Frankie Carbo, who, you know, was a part of Murder, Inc., which was the gang that just went out and committed, um, or or it's a group of, like, organized hitmen that just took out anyone and everybody that they were told to. Um, Blinky Palermo, who a lot of people who listen to the show, you're obviously familiar with him. He worked closely with Carbo, um, in their dealings of just basically controlling boxing during that time. Um, Thomas Eboli, who was a famous gangster, he was also involved in boxing, had um, contracts on guys like Rocky Castellani, um, a middleweight contender from the, from the 60s, 50, 60s, from, you know, that era. And yeah, so that like, it's always been around, you know what I mean? And they basically, everyone's had a stranglehold and Kenahan recently coming in and making an impact in boxing, like you mentioned, with Josh Taylor, with Tyson Fury and others. And it was very interesting considering his shady past, how a lot of the media um, today were still kind of like covering it with like rose tinted glasses. 
you know, oh, he, you know, Ken had a powerful advisor who's taking boxing by a storm. And then you have people telling them, do you know who this guy is? Do you know what he's doing and stuff like that? And everyone would just kind of like, you know, shy away from it. But there was a lot of people that was just like, you know, you got to see, it's all going to come to light eventually. You guys, excuse me, you want the guys want to keep on ignoring this and dealing with it. Eventually something's going to happen. And now shit hit the fan completely. Yeah. And I guess, <clears throat> I guess full disclosure, <laughs> I, I should say, if I'm going to be even give the appearance of being even remotely impartial, I can helped contribute to two different like reports on him, not in the sense that I did research or anything, but just that I was asked, you know, um, and I guess the only reason why that's even remotely important is not to pat myself on the back because it's not it's to point out that like, I'm not even like significant when it comes to like boxing media or fight media, like, and that's not like, uh, you know, self deprecating humor or some shit. I'm just saying like, I'm not, I don't even like, need any rhythm, man. like, it's yeah, like I'm not, I don't cover shit no, for anybody. No hierarchy and like craziness, man. If you're well, good and, at, yeah, if you're good at reporting, then you're good at reporting. Well, and, and I'm not a reporter though. You know, like I don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying like, right. Exactly. Yeah. But like, I don't cover anything for anybody. I'm just, mm -hmm. I'm a writer, you know, like, and I wrote a book and that's pretty much it. Like I, I just I, do this podcast and do some other shit. And, but nonetheless, I think that one of the reasons that uh, I, that they came to me was because partially probably because my name is sounds super fucking Irish and that helps, but, and it was for Irish readers, really <laughs> but, but nonetheless, uh, no, I think another big part of it was that none of the other like no media actually wanted to speak on it like for real like um I'm tr I'll try to say this in a way that's somewhat tactful and not like totally asshole-ish but basically boxing media is spineless dude like they're not nobody is going to be probing to ask difficult questions and and that's like probably an understatement when I say yeah. that, I mean, like, they're not even going to be asking questions about Daniel Kinahan, period, if they want to be covering top rank fights. Hey, Bob, so what is this association with MTK and Kinahan? Shut the fuck up, you little prick. You know, yeah, you'll get, you'll get that or they'll just stop. They'll just stop allowing you to cover top rank fights because what that's the way. Yeah. Talk about the fight. I just did the worst Bob Aaron impression ever, people. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it, it, but it's that's a big problem in and of itself. Like I could do it, it's my own separate episode about that issue with fight media, but totally. that's but that's what I'm talking about. Is that like you know people were afraid, people didn't want to ask the questions, or they were afraid because they might be covering an MTK fighter or pro bellum fighter or writing about them and if they did then they wouldn't get access etc cetera, etc cetera. dude that's just how it is it's okay like you know i'm i know that a lot of people don't want to speak on that shit they want to own up to it and it's kind of embarrassing because they want to be badass and shit like that bless you but regardless you know uh that's just how it is and so that's one of the reasons why me some random ass nobody they went to me to ask me questions about this person that I really have no business being asked about. So, I mean, you know, I guess full disclosure on that shit, but I think that when you bring up the Frankie Carbo, uh, you know, the blinky Palermo, the IBC shit, 
that's actually a really good example, not just because, you know, the surface shit, but because um, they also used a series of shell managers yes, totally. to run the entire thing. <clears throat> so it's actually like a perfect example of what allegedly is going on right now with this Kenahan yeah. shit. It's really something that you should like that, like um, newer boxing fans who like to compare, you know, bad, like whatever's the bad guy today to like more modern, modern era bad men in the sport like Don King or, you know, other shady people of that nature. And it's not a bad comparison. We've discussed it before. Don King is one of the shadiest and, you know, one great, like awful people that ever like grazed the sport, even though he did a lot of great fights. But if you really want to, like, at the end of the day, he wasn't on the level of, like, terms of what the, what these guys were doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, Especially he, with the underground world and everything like that. Yeah, generally he speaking, he was not running a criminal organization. No, 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 no. And don't, that, you know? don't get me wrong. Don King and a lot of people, I'm, I'm not sure if a lot of people recognize this. Don King did deal with the mob, especially if you read Jack Newfield's book. He dealt a lot with them, depending on which family it was and stuff like that. And there's a rumor that... Um, there was that, always that rumor that John Gotti had sent Sam, you know, told, gave orders to Sammy the Bull, Sammy the Bull Garano, his number one hitman to go kill Don King. Like, the, Don yeah. King was involved with the mob, but not like this. That's like what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. You know, this is like some whole other issue. Like well, you just mentioned Pat with the whole, yeah. you take front men like Jim Norris, or you take someone else like this type of thing, and you put them as your promoter. And they're they're the front of it, but you're running all you're 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 the one that's controlling all the strings. Yeah, you're calling the shots. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a it's a whole big, you know, and and that's like I that's like I said, I don't want to just break it down and do a thing where where nobody can ever look at anything good about boxing and it's all cynical and it's all bad and it's all exploitation because there is a lot of good in it and there honestly is and there are a lot of people involved in boxing with really good intentions and genuinely good intentions but you know it's it attracts a lot of really icky people for a reason and i think that that's that's kind of the problem though with the the calls to blinky palermo and the ibc and shit like that not that it's wrong to bring those up or that it's inaccurate the mm -hmm. problem is that you hear people bringing it up, like, for instance, dude, I'm not, again, not to pat myself on the back, just for an example. I'm one of the people that has kind of talked about the Kinahan shit for the last few years, just because, I don't know, I guess I just like to talk about that shit. And But people would uh, often just be like, ah, well, you know, what do you care? What do you give a shit? You know, like, or, or one of the most frequent answers was something to the effect of, the IBC, you know, like uh, Car Frankie Carbo, you know, this has been going on a long time and blah, blah, blah. But the problem was that they were saying that not in any sort of way to have like a conversation, but they were saying it to end the conversation. Mm -hmm. They were saying it where I'd be like, so what's going on with this Canaan shit? Like, does anybody care? And they'd be like, oh, you know, come on, Carbo. I was like, what the fuck does that mean? More like, okay, so let's create a flow chart on this shit here. So Carbo, here we go fucking like 70 years later, we got Kinahan. If we're saying it's the same thing, then why the fuck in 70 years has shit not really changed? That's the, that's the next logical question that you should be asking. What is it about the nature of boxing that is, you know, et cetera. So as we know, this creates a lot of cognitive, cognitive dissonance 
it makes things difficult to think about when boxing for a lot of people is probably it's really like an escape dude it's a lot of it's a lot of us just like bathing our fucking id all of the the base emotions and shit like that i think it's it's embracing that type of shit and a lot of people don't really want to kind of have to man you can't just be a normal like happy-go-lucky person and, and get involved in boxing and then it's tough it's very tough <laughs> yeah. Once you, not only just being a fan and seeing all the shenanigans that happen in terms of like the fighters not fighting each other and all that other shit but like when you actually if you want to dig deep enough and read about all the underhanded stuff and what goes on behind that you're just kind of exactly. like oh, your head might explode yeah uh, it's it's tough dude this is really really this is crazy this is like really a heavy subject i'm glad that um it's come to light at this moment now and people are like everyone has to take notice of what's going on in the real situation and um it's going to be interesting to see how it played off a lot of like bob aram and others now have all apparently seemed to have like you know wash their yep. hands with them. but we'll see where this goes it's it's actually kind of interesting too i'll we'll move on from this pretty quickly here because i don't want to dwell on it too hard because we got other shit to talk about but um i will say it's been a little interesting and it's going to continue to develop because bob aram and top rank have said well we're not dealing with mtk and also we're not dealing with probellum and all this type of shit and so probellum <laughs> issued a statement i saw and, that they said well, he's a competitor we've never dealt yeah with they're him. like well we don't yeah. have any but then you go back and it's like fucking like two weeks ago or whatever it was it was like some sports minister in india it was like we just met with probellum and it's a fucking shot with it it's a photo with daniel canaan and it's like <laughs> bro come on you fucking three stooges motherfuckers so it's yeah it's it's bad but anyway <laughs> it's going to continue to develop uh it's a weird oh, yeah, situation this is a very hot story man this is gonna be a big story that's only going to get bigger from now so um i'll be yeah. following it very closely after this because like you said man this is like up our alley in terms of like true yep. crime, and crime and stuff like that um but yeah this is something that well with the scandal going on like there's always scandals in boxing. There's always something, but in terms of this magnitude, yeah. where outside of yeah, boxing, like, boxing plays a small part in this. Like this is just his little. This is what he like. This plays a small part in the whole situation. Right, right, right. So, this is actually something that doesn't happen in the sport very often of this type of magnitude. Yeah, boxing's of- actually getting used. Boxing's yeah. yeah, boxing's totally getting. Yeah, boxing is kind of getting yeah, man, dirty it's used. Just, it's just a small card in, what's, in this whole operation of what's going on with this. So, yeah, it's going to be a very fascinating story. Yeah, if you're new to it or if you're kind of unfamiliar with it, I would simply say that if you're going to look for information, especially if you're reading recent information, mm-hmm. just take into account who it is providing that information and what their previous stance on Kinahan and that situation was that's all that's all i'm saying i'm just no, saying totally be agree. mindful of totally it. totally agree and there's been a lot of people that people have been calling out on twitter and saying same thing saying that you're just you know showing yourselves immensely or x y and z about this so yeah i'm just saying dude just saying so i mean look and it's and it's kind of like it's the kind of thing where if you start looking to with a pitchfork and some fucking you know uh and some fucking torches to go look for somebody everybody who's done something bad in boxing like you're gonna be you're gonna have nobody right like there's gonna be nobody left literally 
but like you said and i think this is really important to remember dude there's hashtag motherfucking levels to this shit dude like honestly when it comes to the corruption and and just the the damage in boxing you know are we it's kind of like concentrating from the micro to the macro level and this is definitely macro level damage that's that's where we're at here so that's why it's important to talk about oh yeah huge and it was a big subject it's only gonna you know still gonna be the elephant in the room for this this isn't going away anytime soon this is gonna be something that's gonna be long drawn out and make a lot of headlines and a lot of ups and downs are gonna go on with it so um yeah buckle up it's going to be interesting to see because even though, like we said, this is only a small box and this is a small part of this, there's going to be a lot of major changes, though, in, in between because of this, too. Like you mentioned, there's a yeah. lot of players to this with Probellum and this one and that one and the fighters that he represents, like with Tyson Fury and jo- um, Josh Taylor, uh, what was it, Sonny Edwards, I think, is with him also. Yep. And, you know, other fighters, like, yeah, so. Yeah, Michelle, and... Yeah, and, and I think that it, it uh, before this point, it was easier for a lot of people to kind of be like, whoa, hey, no, I don't know nothing about that type of shit. But now it's like, it's out, dude. You can't, yeah. unfortunately, now you're not going to be able to say something like that if you're asked to speak on it. So it's kind of interesting to think that like when, you, when something like this comes out in the way boxing Twitter um, has been responded in this, you know, boxing the world and everything else. I wonder how how it would have been taken. Um, I'm not making comparisons, but like, remember when Don King was investigated by the feds multiple times? But it looked yeah, like, like worst time. I, I, no, multiple, multiple times. But um, there was there was a Ring magazine article. I think it was in the late '90s where it looked like they made like a like a really heavy pitch to try to like finally do something about it because there was a Ring magazine headline. It wasn't the it wasn't like the front. It was on the front cover. It wasn't the the, you know the main thing but like on the one of the top headlines it says don king going to jail i mean i'm sure they ran that headline a bunch of times over the years but <laughs> you know yeah I, I don't specifically remember i do remember that he was a handful of different times kind of like uh like taken in for questioning type of shit and i think that he was probably at the very least peripherally investigated with like the Bob Lee shit and stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm sure there have been a number of different times where he's been part of investigations at least, but um, yeah, dude, he's, he's been in some shit, man. And I don't know. Uh, I think that's what makes this unique though, is that it's not some usual corruption. Shit's pretty deep, dude. This is like, no, this is above boxing, like you said. This is like cartel, crazy, like, you know, organized crime, wild shit that we haven't encountered since, well, when boxing was covered by the IBC. Yeah, <laughs> Even though, if... like, again, there's been, there's been organized, there's always been organized crime somehow underhand involved in boxing in some way. We've, we've talked enough about Don King and others who have, you know, played ball that way. And it can go in other countries too. You don't think the Yakuza don't have, you know, dip their toes in boxing a few times or, or like other, or the other crime car, you know, crime organizations, everybody is involved in the sport, but yeah. in its own little way, trying to do something, trying to make money and somehow. So, well, so I don't know the details, but I do know that the Yakuza supposedly have a bunch of involvement with mixed martial arts in Japan 
and well, I know a wrestler, yeah. So. Yeah, and I was gonna say I know they have had involvement with some pro wrestlers. New Japan uh, pro Japan. wrestling when Antonio Inoki as the head um, was heavily involved with the Yakuza and them, like you know, ticket sales and all kinds of other stuff back in. Like the yeah, day. like I said, dude, it's like if there's money being made and if it's some shit like that where it can be controlled like a mm-hmm. sport, you know, it's that's where that shit's at, bro. Launder that shit, but totally. you didn't hear that from me. all right now let's get to some legitimate sport from this weekend right so at welterweight it would almost seem like welterweight is like you know it should be cooled down by now but welterweight it's not as hot as it once was but it's still pretty hot dude it's still it's still got some some heat pockets and one of them is going to be this weekend so errol spence jr is going to be taking on your denny's ugas uh you know i think that this is the kind of fight where it has the potential to be a real sleeper, I think, for a handful of different reasons. Uh, you know, they're fighting at AT&T Stadium in, Ar- in Arlington, Texas. Um, I, th- I would say that it's not, exact- it's not exactly neutral ground. It's going to be Spence territory for sure. But there are a number of different kind of questions or X factors going on here um, that could make this potentially difficult to predict as far as how it's going to go. So, you know, it's, it's a pretty damn good fight overall. Um, how do you see this fight? Um, it's going to be a good fight. It's going to be a really, really good fight. Ugas uh, seems to be, have been coming to his own in his last few fights. He's always been the dark horse of the welterweight division. Um, one of those guys that wasn't quite ever mentioned in the, uh, with the elite names, Pacquiao when he was still active, um, Spence, like you just mentioned, Crawford, Sean Porter to a degree, like all the, you know, the guys that were always like the big A side, the big names. And Ugas was one of those guys that like, you knew he was good. He was active. He was winning, but he just couldn't really break out of the pack. And, you know, and, and the times when like he finally fought Sean Porter, um, he arguably won that fight. You know, it was a really, really close fight, a tough fight, but like he, he got the short end of the stick, which was kind of, it seemed to be like, um, the story of his career a guy that was like immensely talented uh was going to give anyone hell on a given night but like and when it came to a raise a close decision it probably will go against him but you know since then he's you know became wba uh, champion and then elevated the super champion with the win over pacquiao um is you know he's like i said he's coming to his own he's an immensely talented fighter he's a really good fighter he's tough he's one of the best welterweights in the world and um He's coming against a shot. He's coming against not Sean Porter, excuse me. Um, Errol Spence. That there's some question marks going on against him, you know, with the with the big car accident that happened. He did have a comeback fight from there, but the um, the retina injury that made him pull out um, from the Pacquiao fight. There's a lot of questions going on with with Spence. Like, is he damaged goods right now? Is there other things going on with him? Like, he's still young. He's still in his prime. He still seems like he's an absolute fighter and. You know, the fight is in Texas, um, his home territory. He's the favorite, you know, obviously for for many reasons. But, like, is this going to be one of those fights where everything falls apart for him? Who knows, man? It's a very intriguing fight. Yeah, I mean, you know, all my exes live in Texas, too. That's (laughs) I love uh... it. My best friend lives there, man. I love going to Austin, but... Austin I was going to say, like, Ugas also, I bet you, is, is definitely immensely motivated first because he knows this is, like, the biggest fight of his career, even more so than Pacquiao. And, yeah. he, like, this is it for him. And, um, 
Spence, I know this Spence obviously will be taking it seriously as a big fight too, but he would probably wish it was more like Crawford instead of just kind of, you know, going against Ugas. There's just a lot of, there's a lot of questions and factors going on with this. You know, I, I, I would say that we've gotten some pretty decent consolations for not getting Spence Crawford over the last few years, mm-hmm. even though that's the fight we still all want. It's the fight that we still need to have shit sorted out. But I guess in the meanwhile, you know, there's still been some decent consolations, and this is one of them. Oh. Um, you know, Spence Pacquiao was probably going to be a bloodletting, but at the very least, you know, I guess Jordan Zugas got that opportunity and took that opportunity. Um, but I, I do think that those things that you brought up about Errol Spence, I mean, I, I personally wouldn't go so far as to call him used go- or uh, uh, damaged goods. And I'm not, I know that's not what you were saying, but I know that that question has come up. Um, and I well, do think a, a retina injury is just a very, very serious injury. You never know. Well, and I, I think those are fair questions, dude. Yeah. And I think that it's, 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 bullshit to be gaslit for asking those questions like on twitter or other social media like for going into these spence these last few spence fights and asking like is he okay and for people to be like you know don't what the fuck where would you fucking ask that and it's like because he's he almost got fucking crushed in a car bro like what the fuck you know what do you mean? Of course, I'm gonna yeah, ask if that. Suffer, if you suffer a detached retina, that is a serious, serious. Yeah, bro. Injury. Like well, he got he got fucked careers. up. Yeah, he got fucked up real bad. And 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 yeah, I didn't do the fucking up, so don't get mad at me. It's just a legitimate question. Yeah, you know, it's just major car accident should be questioned about that. It's actual concern because I don't want. I would not want him going into a fight if he's all fucked up. Oh. That's the thing. And so these are, that's why these are legitimate questions. And so look, did you, you can put two and two together just by looking at the photos from around his crash. He clearly had facial damage then. And I think that's part of the concern is that like, hold on, is this some lingering damage that has now been like exacerbated because of the boxing or something? I don't know. Only he, you know, probably only he knows the answer to that question. But regardless, these are all I'm saying is these are legitimate questions to ask. And if the answer to that question is like, dude, was there serious damage that has not fully healed? Like, is your Denny's Ugas the type of fighter? Is he good enough to take advantage of that? Is he good enough to defeat a damaged Errol Spence? And it's kind of like he probably is. And so I guess the other question then is, is he good enough to defeat an Errol Spence? that is not damaged and in my opinion i would say probably not especially in texas and yeah and especially if you take that possibility of him getting a decision away in texas then it's like yeah probably 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 not but like regardless you know uh, there are these x factors even though they seem unfair perhaps they do make it an interesting fight to try to, to try to figure out no, I mean it's a, it's going to be a very competitive fight. All right, regardless of And I don't uh, want to under sorry to interrupt you, but I don't want to undersell Ugas either. I don't want to just hinge totally. it on, you know, Spence being damaged or not cuz Ugas is a good fighter. He's a very very, very good fighter, but he's one of those guys that like he doesn't hit especially hard that he's going to take out the elite guys or a guy that could take a really good punch. So 
he leaves himself to go to the distance. And if it makes it to be a very, very close fight, chances are it's going to go against him, usually. For whatever reason, he's like he's been on the short end of, of things like that. So that's what that's what the that's what the factor of being in Texas is because do you think he can get a decision against Spence in Texas? Like it's it'll be very, very tough, especially, you know, uh, as fights being held at AT&T Stadium, correct? Um, yeah, exactly. Spence is the money guy. Yeah, I mean, Spence it's has just... fought there plenty of times before. Like this is, you know, he's the hometown guy. If it's a close fight, chances are the decision won't, won't go in Ruggess's favor. So he already has that against him. And too, like you said, it's just, you know, there's a lot of factors there. If you put him head to head, completely healthy, I'm going to go with Spence all day. Um, not by blowout or anything like that. I still think it's going to be a close fight, but yeah, I just, it'll be work. Spence, but yeah, I think Spence has had the better attributes to to pull ahead in that one. But with every, with all questions aside, and you know, Spence coming off a long layoff and everything like that, you know, this is a in Ugas definitely. Um, if you follow his Twitter feed, which I thankfully do not, um, you know, he's feeling at the top of his powers and how he's feeling confident wise and stuff like that. So, you know, there's um. There, there's that added factor. Yeah, he's definitely a, a Twitter master for sure. <laughs> Nothing against him. I'm happy that he's like feeling himself and doing all that. But yeah, he's I, just I, vibing. I, I don't care who you are. If you're my father or best friend, family, whatever, man, if you go on for marathon tweets, just everything like that, I'm probably going to have to like mute you after a while. Seriously, dude, it gets it gets excessive, but bless him. Exactly, man. Good for him. You know, he's a guy that, um, no, seriously, he's a guy that like came up where he wasn't given the accolades that, you know, other dudes do, especially in the, in this era of boxing where you get hot shotted. Um, he struggled a bit early on, like we said, with decisions and other stuff. And he's pulled himself to the point where he's at this now and all kudos to him. That's, that's what you call a success story. You know, dude, I, I think that there's no question though, I will have to say, so let's say that let's say that um, Errol Spence gets a big win here. Let's say that Errol Spence gets a big win against your Dennis Rugas. Mm-hmm. What logically really is stopping anybody from saying then that Crawford Spence needs to happen next and like let's stop fucking around? Well, I mean, I think it has the best chance of happening now, potentially. I don't. I don't know the business dealings of where Crawford is leaning to or where he wants to go or anything, but he's, he's free from error now by all accounts. He's done. He's done with him. Right. So to my knowledge. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's, he's out. So if he's done with Aram, then there's been rumors again, I don't take any rumor unless it's by like, you know, a credible source or someone that's actually writing saying this is actually going to happen, but there's been a little bit of rumblings that he might go with uh, PBC. I'm sure they're interested in trying vigorously to sign him as are other people at the moment. So what's to say that if Spence scores a big win now that this fight can't be made, I know Crawford still salivates for it. And they both know that this is still years later, even though it might be a little slightly past its expiration date, um, still the best fight to be made in the division. So, and if not in boxing in general, so it's like, What's it to stop? And no, I think now with Crawford away from top rank, it has the best possible chance of being made. It well, just depends on what happens this weekend, I guess. Yeah, and I guess I'll say this, dude. If Spence can't beat your Denis Rugas, then I guess we already know that the expiration date has gone by. Absolutely. And that it's 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 over with. <laughs> like, you know, it's totally. if that the time for that fight is probably passed or we'll have to wait for it again, assuming it does come. But I think it's going to happen eventually, but uh, like boxing, it just took 
absolutely forever for it to be made. It's taken even longer than uh, it, it's gone past the point of Delahoya Trinidad, which when you think back on that, that took a while, but I mean, like it didn't take as long as this to say this has been, or, you know, Mayweather Pacquiao, it's more moved into the Mayweather Pacquiao realm, not quite as bad, but you know, it's creeping up in that era. It's creep. It's creeping up in that, in that range. Yeah, no, I would agree. I would agree. It's been a few years now. And on top of that, they have been, it's, it's like they have been the parents of a welterweight family. Yes. And they're, they've just, it won't happen. It sucks. But in, in any case, I hope it does wind up happening because Errol Spence, you know, I, I think my official pick is going to be, it sounds like Errol Spence has where he's previously struggled with weight and conditioning. He, at least from the sound of it, has gotten a, a strength and conditioning coach for this camp that has, and he's taken it a little more seriously. So I, if that's the case, then I would possibly be able to say he can handle the layoff and he should be able to handle Ugas and it comes down to his injuries. So I'm probably going to pick Spence. But, I'm going with that too. I'm going with Spence by decision. It's going to be a very competitive decision and very, very tough. But if Spence, I think that's fair. Mentioned can still pull it, you know, has everything all his faculties intact, then he should be able to win. Yeah, be I, think, I think that's fair. And if that does wind up happening, if Spence wins and he wins deservedly, dude, there's like there should be zero roadblocks between he and Crawford. Absolutely. If they want to put Crawford in. Uh, start the PBC drums by putting him in against like, well, again, people have been mentioning possibly Danny Garcia as a first opponent, because of course he's just one of those PBC guys <laughs> that everyone kind of goes against as a, as a tune up, right. Him or Broner pick one. Like so, I'm, I'm not trying to trash Danny Garcia. Cause I know it's like, he's an easy target for a lot of people, but I just, I don't, he doesn't deserve any of this shit. Yeah, he doesn't, it, it doesn't, what is he, from? he doesn't fight. He just waits until he gets like a big fight as a B side. Yeah, he waits until he waits for the call. I, good for him. You know what I'm saying? Like he's if he's living the life. Yeah, yeah. If he's living the life, good for him, bro. Like, but that's not what I'm. I that's that's not my money. I don't give a fuck about that. (laughs) Since we're talking welterweights, um, and I have a little display here for, you know, welterweight unification history and fighters that have, you know, been involved in major fights, whether unification or not, uh, we should talk about a couple of them. Yeah, no shit, dude. You not got... the shirt, but just in general. Yeah, dude, you got the fucking, is that Adrian Stone versus... Uh... Nah, that's... <laughs> well, Roberto Duran and Sugar Ray Leonard Stone versus Sugar. I was about to say, that would be hilarious if that's Adrian that Stone. Adrian Stone yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But that, but even so, that's a pretty good fucking if, pantheon. There. If, like, I mean, if you think about it, if if um, Uges Spence was even a fraction of uh, the drama and excitement of Leonard Hearns one, you know, then we're going to be in for a very special night. Yeah, that's or if that's if not my people, favorite fight, it's definitely one of them for sure. I mean, you know, the ebbs and flows of it. Like, besides the you're blowing it, son, you're blowing it, just. The way the main thing for me, I think, what I love so much about it, it was the role reversal. Like, Hearns came out as a stalker early on. Leonard was like, you know, trying to box and stuff like that. Then Hearns gets hurt up first, right? And what was it like, round six or whatever? One round seven, like in the middle rounds. And then the roles completely changed. Leonard became the stalker. Hearns became the boxer, and Hearns was completely outboxed him. 
and it was like you know just the way that like the each each fight like it just had its own pace with the own like changes it, it was amazing to watch like to see the whole it was like a fucking movie watching the whole thing unfold and then you like you see you see Leonard's eye it's into a complete slit it looks like he's gonna lose a uh, very close fight Hearns is you know you couldn't no one's gonna outbox Tommy Hearns and finally he breaks through in round 14 to, to finish him yeah, it was, and he gets the motivational speech. Yeah, and fucking, you can't even, you know, Hollywood could have write a, written a better script. The, the like crazy, almost just like unhinged lunatic combination that Ray Leonard throws with Hearns on the ropes where he's like falling yes. through the ropes and he's like, you know, like, holy shit, bro. You know, like, it was incredible. Like a little child would do or something, but that's what's, totally. you know, it's, but that, that was a Leonard special. If he got you on the ropes, that was that was your death right there because yeah he threw that flurry but whenever you throw that flurry that's when like a few of those major hits would come in too like yeah. he did the Andy Price when he almost decapitated him oh and, man you know, Dave Boy Green he had Dave a number Boy of knockouts yeah, that were yeah, just yeah. like woof like Leonard is always oh the seven up kid very friendly smiling everything like that when that dude had a killer instinct like a mouth you know bad 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 man and if he got you hurt. That was your ass, clearly. Yeah. Like, you know, He's there was, he was like, you know, it was bad. Yeah, he gets a lot of shit, so, dude. It's it's easy to to talk shit about Ray Leonard. Like now, I know yeah. a lot of people do that shit. Like they fucking hate him. I he gets a lot of shit now for whatever reason. But he was a, I love Leonard, Always especially will. with such a condensed career. He had what like thirty five fights or something like that, dude. Holy shit! Yeah, around there. Yeah, a little less than forty, totally. Stops crazy. And parks and everything, the retirements, everything like that that he went through. Like, oh, totally. But Ray Charles Leonard, man, one of the all-time greats. And he was able, and I'll tell you this right now, there was not many people in history, I would say, that would be that would be able to have um, beaten Hearns on that night. You know, like Hearns was on another level. Like he just if you watch it, he was completely outboxing Leonard at that point. Like Hearns was that type of dude too, if like Besides him being a stalker and a puncher, like he was a complete classic boxer. And if you go back in history throughout his entire career, try to find one person to actually outbox him. Like if he lost, he only lost one fight by decision. That was against Iran Barkley, who outwilled him and clearly didn't outbox him. Hearns was never outboxed. If you were going to beat him, you had to go, go through fire and hell and you know, a few right hands that would knock anyone else out and somehow the dentist shouldn't be able to finish him. Like, you know, he wasn't a guy that you were going to go on the outside and make it out slick him. So when everyone's all like, oh, yeah, Floyd Mayweather would outbox him. No, I promise you he wouldn't have. Like, well, Hearns had a style that was impossible to outbox. Well, and, and even with, uh, you know, I think the probably the common refrain with Hearns, my favorite fighter, so, oh, he had a shitty chin or a bad chin, a glass chin, whatever. And I'm kind of just like, well, you look at his record, dude. I mean, like, he, he was getting stopped by guys who were very good punchers or guys who were having to go through hell to stop him. I don't, that doesn't really signal to me that he had a bad chin. I think that he had, he was the kind of guy who, when he got hit for whatever reason, his legs showed it for whatever yeah. reason. Oh. It was like his legs were just, it was like, he, he was one of those Sebastian Fundora motherfuckers where like, you know, he's just, his dimensions looked otherworldly. Uh, but when he got hit, his legs were like, woo, and you could see it. And it was like, oh, shit, I got gotcha. you. 
but it, even so, you know, he was dangerous and he was extremely skilled. That was the thing about the, the first Leonard fight was that it showed that he was more than just, you know, better prey sugar Ray. It was just, you better bring a lunch, bro. Cause I'm out boxer ass. Totally. Totally. And I mean, that's what he was doing once he, once he got hurt originally and then got on his bicycle a little bit and just started like, you know, jabbing and moving and boxing, landing. Leonard, who was a master boxer himself, was just completely like befuddled for for a few rounds. You know, they were still close rounds, but like Hearn was clearly getting better of it, and it was going to cruise to a decision before Leonard stepped on the gas. So, um, there was that one. Another one I wanted to bring up too is a a fight that doesn't get mentioned enough, I think, in terms of classic welterweight fights, but it does definitely hold up itself in terms of um, times. You know test of time and it was a great great fight in itself but you should have to mention in terms of unification fights simon brown against uh, maurice blocker you know it's funny he was simon brown came up the other day and maurice blocker but simon brown came up came up the other day and i thought about it, i was like you know he was in a lot of good fights like an underrated amount of good fights like if you go back and luckily a bunch of his shits on youtube he's in a bunch of really good fights unfortunately on the losing end of a few of them like in a bad way, but regardless, you know, uh, yeah, dude, Tyrone Trice, uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, man, the Ruben Bell fight when we did, um, we talked about his thing, uh, Vincent Petway, which he came on the losing end of, yeah, uh, the first Terry Norris fight, which wasn't so much exciting, but just like dramatic and what happened with it, yeah. So, Simon Brown and um, Maurice Blocker were best friends, actually. That's the that's the that's the story behind it. Absolute best friends. Those guys were buddies. They, you know, um, I think they both lived in D.C. around the same area. You know what I mean? They always dined together. Like, they were really, really good friends. And what was crazy about that fight is that they put that friendship aside and just decided to have, you know, go at it for that. And it was a brawl. Not a, not a brawl. It was just a vicious, vicious fight. Like, Blocker, a guy, another guy with those crazy, like, Pandora Hearns dimensions. Very, very tall. Very lanky. But he used that to his advantage. Unlike Pandora, he was a boxer who like kept his distance and, you know, used the one, two, but he was a very classy boxer and a very tough guy to overcome because of his dimensions. And Brown, Simon Brown wasn't an out and out slugger, a very, very good pressure fighter who just had good combinations, hit hard as a rock, could take a good punch and just relentless in his attack. Um, yeah, their, their styles, even though they're best friends, they were very familiar with each other and everything like that. They just made for the perfect storm. I think that was on the undercard of um, one of the Tyson, one of the one of the one of the Tyson pay per views. I forgot which one it was. And yeah, unfortunately, one of the dude, Tyson runners, I believe. Maurice Blocker is one of those dudes who, unfortunately, he gets remembered most for getting a face planted by Trinidad. Harry Norris and Tito. Yeah. And it's like, damn, dude, because he had a better career than that. But that was also toward like the tail end of his career. So it's like, you know, he he was more than that, unfortunately, because that's most what most people recognize him from. I gotta I have to look up to see what uh what uh, what the undercard was. I mean what, what fight they were at, what was the main event? Because I think I know it was a Tyson fight, but I just don't um that was when Don King was you know putting on those um those marathon pay-per-views. So it would have been what, like ninety one ish. Yep. Tyson Ruddock. Yeah, ninety one. So that was definitely Tyson Ruddock. 
but I want to say um, because Fennec Azuma Nelson, the first fight, was also on one of the Tyson um, Tyson Ruddock undercards as well. So, who man, yeah, Don, King, Don King Don King was putting on the heat back then. Yeah, every so often, dude, because some people kind of misremember like that was every Don King card. But but every so often, yeah, no, dude, it's easy, there was it's easy to get you know, it's easy to get nostalgic like we do, especially me who loves the '90s and you as well. And you'd be like, oh man, Don King was putting on all these masterful pay per views. Yeah, now, nah, like, man, there Don were King some. Yeah, there were some. For every Don King pay per view that he put on that was awesome, there was a ton of shit either on Showtime yeah. or on pay-per-view okay yeah there were a few go other to, pay-per-views go to, holy field tyson go to holyfield tyson 2 and look at that abysmal undercard which featured a miguel on hail gonzalez and uh chavez in separate fights against that, always, that always seems to happen every time there's like a super mega fight it's like a shite undercard how is that possible because they put all the money into the pay into the Fuck. main event at least that's what they say but the, all the money has to go to the main event, so they have no money left it's over. Like, how is that even? That makes no sense, bro. Makes or they no just sense. don't care. Just I'm calling you out, promoters. You're full of shit. Makes no <laughs> sense, bro. But Simon Brown, Maurice Blocker was just one of those fights that if you haven't watched, it, you need to go back and watch it because it's amazing. Especially if you know the backstory of them being best friends, and then Brown finally beating Blocker and stopping them, and the way they embrace after the fight, like two brothers that just had to go through this. But you know, both both can punch. You know, it's like both questionable as far as taking a punch. Blocker, like I said, was a master boxer, but he stood his ground and fought Brown tooth, you know, tooth and nail in that fight. Brown went through hell. And Blocker, who was known, like we mentioned, as a guy who had like kind of a weak chin, you can be dented. He took everything Brown had to offer. It wasn't like he got face planted in that one. It was finally that Brown just broke through and like had to beat him and beat him and beat him because he was a uh, relentless beast. And that's how he finally stopped him. You know, a wonderful fight. Absolutely wonderful fight. Just, you know, one of many that happened during the early 90s. And um, I guess the last one that we can mention too, uh, which was pretty significant in terms of a knockout. I mean, De La Hoya Trinidad was a significant one, but I don't want to talk about that because that fight sucked. <laughs> um, so I wanted to mention uh, Donald Curry, Milton McCrory. That's a good one. Or at yeah. least a, a good... <laughs> The way that it ends is that's just what I mean. The way it ended, it wasn't like a clap. Yeah, it was a yeah, poor guy. That, that it was fascinating to think too because, like, Donald Curry after that fight was looked upon as as the future of the sport. He was the guy that was supposed to move up to middleweight and beat Hagler and just you know carry the rest of the 80s on his shoulders until he inevitably lost or retired or whatever. And none of that happened, but I mean, my god, man, like. If you want to see a fighter looking almost perfect, that was Curry that night. Like, Curry was almost a perfect fighter, too, if you saw him at his peak. The way he just, everything, his punch placement, the way he held his hands, yeah. his footwork, his balance, everything. Like, Curry was just... Very technically sharp. Very, very technically. Man, if you wanted to show a person, a, a novice in the sport, how to do everything, you were going to show them a, photo, a, a video of Donald Curry at his peak back then. And I don't know. Just don't go for the Jerry curl. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, why, why, why not though? Well, you know, the Jerry curl is a very. I mean, maybe you can't get away with it in twenty twenty two, but bro, the Jerry true. curl is a very, very was an awesome, nostalgic uh, style back then. All right, I whole um full hardly support it. Michael Elijah Day was the man. Just let it shine through. Yep. Elijah Day and. Uh, 
Leon Spinks. Vampire Johnson. He had Vampire that shit. Yeah, that shit going for a while too, dude. He had the it's true. Michael Spinks that definitely had a Jericho going on at one point in the very early 80s before he like, you know, trimmed it down a little bit. Um Mitch Green didn't quite have the or at least when I a couple times had some locks. Uh, he had some Jericho locks on him. Yeah, he bit. every so often he did kind of look like when he undid his braids and shit. But usually he he had the he had like the braided mullet thing going. He had an afro going on early in the Rick James part of tomorrow's champions. And then by the time he fought Tyson, he had wetted it down into like the Jerry Colba, like kind of more straight hair. Yeah. <laughs> Which you saw go splaying every all over Madison Square Garden when Tyson was fucking punching him around. <laughs> and um make it sound like a little girl. Yeah, yeah. Uh God. There was there was a bunch of them trying to like off the top of my head. There was Tommy Hearns had a Jerry Curl for a little bit. That's true. He did. Yeah, yeah. that's true. When he fought when he fought Hagler, he he had yeah. a Jerry Curl look up on him. <laughs> You know? that's true dude yeah a number of uh, you already mentioned elijah day right yeah that's probably the best one that's probably the best because he's wearing like the the halter top like bare midriff shirts so, and shit elijah day personified the 80s more than any other fighter you saw the ring magazine cover <laughs> when he looked like michael jackson wearing the yeah dude jackets and the glove and everything it was almost like debarge like level totally yeah 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 i met elijah day once at um at a at a at a show in Midtown. And I'll never forget it, man. He literally is one of the coolest people I've ever seen, just per just in terms of just his presence, right? He um I've always been, I mean, I always because you know me and loving the 80s. So I, me and uh Corey Erdman too, I've always been big on uh, Michael Elajade fans. And um so when I finally saw him, you know, he had the eye patch on. Cause that's like one thing that he, uh, I, I know he suffered an eye injury, but he's always like, that's been like his gimmick. Like he's had an eye patch for since the nineties. And, um, he had that on, he was wearing some, like some cool ass threads and all that. And he had two of the most beautiful girls I had ever seen one on each arm. He just like was there. And I was like, Oh man, it's the silk. And he came up and he gave me dap and we talked for a minute and he just, I was like, wow, just up and down his whole aura, everything. I was like, this guy is just fucking cool. Like miles David cool. You know what I mean? <laughs> Some people they just be like, oh yeah, that's cool looking. Nah, he was cool. <laughs> that's fucking awesome, dude. It, it was awesome. Like his whole just look, he had this, he had this cool overcoat on, he had this whole look, he had the gorgeous women with him, he had this metal eye patch on his side, like he was just cool as hell. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. Michael Lige, or Michael Lige Day just living the life, dude. I love it. It was, love was smooth. I was like, that is the smoothest dude. I like, I was like, man, I want to be that cool one day, but I'm not sure if I can reach those levels. <laughs> some that's some pretty good uh that's some pretty good welterweight unification you covered though yeah. i mean i guess the problem unfortunately with the unification well i guess it's not so much a problem but at least as far as going back in history is that that's one of those divisions where it like goes back to the split you know what i mean and it's like there's not much unification as to be had uh, welterweight division that. is one of the deepest divisions in sports history it has a very very rich history like the lightweight division heavyweight middleweight and so on but um yeah like you just said in terms of actual unification fights and things of that nature that was more of a you know a turn of since like the 70s 80s 90s. yeah yeah when the when the wba and wbc started getting at odds in the 1970s yeah. and officially were like fuck this shit and split that's when it started the unification getting funky. fights still were completely taboo at that point like yeah. if 
it, that unification fights in general weren't, you know, extreme or extremely rare because if a WBC champion and WBA champion were scheduled to fight, someone was getting get, was going to get stripped before that. Yeah, that's usually what wound up happening is yeah. they'd throw a shit fit and strip one of them. And then, you know, there were, you know, if you want to get all technical, go back to the days where like, yeah, dude, there were times where the NBA and the N the New York state athletic commission would every so often, but yeah, anyway, that's like it. We're talking about, yeah. yeah, Well, and it's not the, it's not the welterweight anyway. So the welterweight division wasn't affected by that the same way. So in any case, yeah, I think you covered the, the welterweight unifications pretty well. And I think that we're both picking Spence. I think we had a pretty good spread of topics on this show. Yeah, dude, I think we're going to get out of here, man. I appreciate you spending some time talking some good shit with me, man. Ah, uh, man, this was a blast as always. It's been a lot going on in the sport of boxing this week, as it always is. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to this weekend. Yeah, dude, another marathon weekend. I hope everybody enjoys it. I hope everybody uh, stays the fuck away from Dubai and Daniel Kinahan, especially if you listen to this episode. I can tell you I am just because now I'm in fear for my life. But no, no, not really. Hope, hope not. Jesus Christ. But nah, look, we had a lot of fun. Um, I appreciate everybody who listened in or watched. Uh, if you did listen in, we would appreciate you subscribing through all the normal podcast apps. If you watched on YouTube, for instance, also subscribe. And in any case, leave comments, suggestions, always appreciated. And in the meanwhile, if you are on social media, for instance, the show is on Facebook and Instagram, but my buddy Eris Pina is on Twitter, for example, as Punch Zone Eris. I'm also on Twitter, Patrick Connor at Patrick M. Connor. That's about it, Eris. We'll talk soon, bro. Have a good one, everyone. Later, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.